0: You may be seated. I thank those who have gone before me, my brothers Newell, Nathan, Chris, all those who prayed this morning before our assembly. Let us open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, where we can see a verse that teaches us that our God is the first cause of all things. We are not in the middle of a study of the sovereignty of God or His dominion, over all things. We're in the middle of a study of the attributes of God, so we only have limited time to consider His sovereignty. So we must fly apace and see if we can cover some things in the hour that we have this morning. And in our second assembly, we will consider some aspects of His sovereignty applying to our salvation as we come to the Lord's table. The sovereignty of God. The word sovereign is not in our Bibles. Sovereignty is not in our Bibles. I prefer the word dominion. Both of them teach the same thing. They're synonyms for each other. When someone is sovereign, he has supreme rank over others and authority. And he is the ruler, the governor, the Lord, and the master of those under his authority. Dominion may say it a little better. It's the power or the right of governing and controlling its lordship it's having rule or sway or dominating power and authority over those under it that is our god and it is an attribute that makes him god in a way like no other attribute in that it involves creatures and his right and authority and the fact and the exercise of that right and authority to do as He will over the wills of other rational creatures. That is an incredible power to make choices over your choices and to crush you beneath His choices. I'm going to lift God up as high as I can. I'm going to put you down where you belong, under the dust of His feet, In due time, we shall be thankful for His sovereign choices to save us. But until then, let's put Him where He belongs. God is absolutely sovereign with complete and total dominion over all the creatures in the universe, including us this morning. We place the sovereignty of God here in His transferable or communicable or participatory attributes Because he has assigned some dominion to us. He created things under our dominion. We kill them, we cook them, we skin them, we wear them, we stick them on our walls because we have dominion over them. It gives us a little bit of taste of the lord's dominion over us i want us to start with genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 before you read the other thirty-one thousand one hundred verses in the bible you want to start with this one it's appropriate it's simple and it is the first cause of all things there would be no hell there would be no one in hell there would be no suffering in hell and there would be no one suffering in hell if it wasn't for Genesis 1-1. He is the first cause of hell and all suffering in it. I am not going to waste my time answering your objections or your questions about His sovereignty today. I've answered them before. You don't have a right to ask the question. Your perspective distorts your mind and you're only asking for selfish reasons to begin with. Because no one has ever asked that we think about God's fairness in the way he treats the devil. No one this morning is complaining, at least of sensible thinking people, as to why Charles Manson has not been yet released on parole. No one cares. The only reason you ask questions is you do not want another being to have the authority over your existence in time and eternity like the Bible describes God having authority over you. That's right. The apostle would say, Nay but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Amen. In the beginning, God created. Before there was anything else, before there was any other creature, before there was anyone for him to ask permission, for him to get approval, or for him to seek assent, he, act, he operated, he acted. In the beginning, God. And that's where it all starts. He is the first cause of all things God created. And he didn't ask any of his creatures if they wanted to be created the way he intended to create them. He created them the way that it pleased him. Every single one of them. The deaf, the dumb, and the blind. The uncoordinated, the ugly, the unfavored girls, the short, runty guys in horrible homes with dysfunctional parents in wicked nations where there was no opportunity, the results of sexual abuse, incest, he created according to the good pleasure of His will, and that was His good pleasure. That's right, right. He has not done anything that wasn't according to His good pleasure. That's right. And according to the desires of His own eternal counsel, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He is the first cause of all things. He is the final end of all things, because Proverbs 16.4 tells us, the Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. That's right. He is the first cause, Genesis 1.1. He is the final end, Proverbs 16.4. And he is the major, maker, and mover of all the things in between, as we'll see in the rest of the study. He is the master mover. I want you to look with me now at Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33 It's where we can be reminded in several verses of what was already quoted to you from Romans 9 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul knew that there would be objections and instead of wasting chapters of the book of Romans or chapters anywhere else in the Bible answering your selfish, distorted, out of line questions he simply said, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? You can think of the most deprived child that you can possibly imagine. It's none of your business. And I rejoice in a God like that, that laughs at your question and mocks it. And so I turn you to Job chapter 33, where we have the answer to the book of Job given to us by the inspired Elihu, who knew what was happening here. Job 33 and verse 12, with God as the first cause and God as the final end and God as the master mover of everything in between, here's what is to be known. Behold, in this thou art not just. Job, you are wrong. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. That is all you need to know. He is the potter and you are the clay. Your questions are out of line. From your perspective, nothing makes sense because you are entirely retarded. And you are selfish to boot. And when you have a retarded mind connected to a selfish heart, it is never going to ask the right questions nor for the right reason nor would it comprehend and accept the correct answers. I love this right here. And I worship Him. The Lord God of Heaven. The Lord Jehovah. Who hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil, when he shall cast them into an eternal hell of torment forever and ever. I will answer thee. Job, you're wrong. Here's the answer. God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. That is my God, that is my religion, that is my doctrine, and I trust it's your God, your religion, and your doctrine with me this morning. Why dost thou strive against him? Job, why are you complaining? Why are you balking? Why are you trying to justify yourself? Why are you calling him in question? Why are you trying to bring up your good works? Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. You may be an accountant, and you may work in a company that has an accounting department, and it may be a good thing for businesses to have accountants, but God doesn't give an account for anything He does, especially to you, especially to our race. The only one He's accountable to is the holy integrity and righteousness of His own nature. I am that I am. He is not I am what you approve. I am what you think is fair. I am what you think is nice and fuzzy. I'm going to tell you something. Every one of you that ever read The Nursery Rhymes or any, ever read any fairy tales about a fairy godmother, that's where your problem comes from. Because, see, your heart and your mind love a fairy godmother far more than they love the fairest of 10,000, the God of the Bible. You will believe in a fairy godmother, in a tooth fairy, and Peter Pan a fairy, and other kinds of fairies, but you don't want to accept the truth of the word of God. We have been ruined by a corrupt heart, false inputs, and false teaching. He is the first end. He, He is the first cause. He is the final end. He is the master mover, and you can't question him. He doesn't give an account to you or anyone else. God is greater than man. Over a few pages to Job chapter 36, I want to speak on behalf of my maker. I have one sermon to do it. I encourage you to look at the 21-page single-spaced outline entitled The Dominion of God that is on our website. If you want some detail and you want some answers to some questions that the Bible gives us, you can go there. I have one sermon. In Job chapter 36, verse 22, we read similar words. Behold, take a look at this. Job 36, 22, God exalteth by his power. Who teacheth like him? Who hath enjoined him his way? The word enjoined means to impose a limitation or a requirement, or a duty upon someone's actions. Who hath imposed any restriction on his way? Or who can say, Thou hast wrought iniquity? Remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold, and I shall. I love to magnify his work. I thank God for the privilege this morning, though a hair-lipped ass of men... To try to speak to you for a few minutes about the sovereignty and the dominion of the God of the Bible. Your creator. He didn't ask you for anything. He didn't ask your permission. He doesn't care whether you like your life or not. He gave you better than you ever deserved. No matter what your circumstances were. And he yet does the same. I encourage you to look further into this subject. Look... In that outline I made mention of, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, where I can give you another verse to remind you that God has dealt with those who want to ask questions before, and He doesn't like them, and it's none of your business, and you're too stupid to understand if He gave you the answer in the simplest of terms. And if you think I'm too harsh, I'm nothing. Listen to His words. Matthew chapter 20 This is after employing some men for 12 hours And paying them a penny for their labor And then employing some men for nine Some men for six Some men for three And some men for one And paying them all the same wage One penny You know This is a nation of entitlement They think something is owed to them Nothing is owed to you God owes you nothing Anything you have is better than you have ever deserved. That's right. Those that work 12 hours for a penny whine because they see someone that worked one hour for a penny and got a penny. They think the paymaster is unfair though they signed the contract themselves to work for 12 hours for the penny and they were thrilled and sent a text message home to their wife thanking God and their good fortune that they had work for a day. Right. Here's what my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has to say about anyone that would question those terms. Verse 15 of Matthew 20. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? It is his goodness to give the wages of a day for the labor of an hour. And yet those who labored twelve or nine or six or three accuse him of evil you weren't as beautiful as the other girls in your junior high you were still better than you ever deserved and yes you were ugly God made you ugly for his good pleasure the sovereignty of God is incredibly personal and if you don't get the personal aspects of it you miss it and oh when I finish you'll be thankful that I've made it personal but until then it's going to be a rough road but it's not a rough road to me I don't resent my son-in-law who's six foot five inches because God cut me off at five nine. He had good reasons for doing so and whether I could ever understand them or not, it doesn't matter whether he explains to me or not. I'm five nine and blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not five eight. Amen. He's sovereign right. and it's personal. It's very Personal. You know when you lined up in the 8th grade and you were a boy for war ball in the gym. And you were picked last. Do you know what that meant? They were going to be hunting you the entire game to try to tear your head off in the game of war ball. And do you know how painful it was to stand there while everyone was chosen in front of you? God made that choice. He wanted you last. He wanted you in a public school shower realizing that other girls were more endowed than you were and other guys were more endowed than you were. And you were ashamed and you hurt. And you saw kids that didn't take, that didn't study and they got A's in class and their parents came and picked them up in fine automobiles. And it hurt you. Why were you complaining? You were alive, and you hadn't been made a hyena. You were alive, and he filled your heart with food and gladness every Thanksgiving. And every time you spent your quarter for a hot lunch at school and got your little half pint of chocolate milk, you were happy. Ugly, but happy. God is sovereign. And when God is sovereign, can we say that he's evil for doing something like that to us? Or to anyone else? Can we even question Him? The Lord Jesus Christ would ask the question, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will? I don't care what you will or what you would. Is it lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Every creature is God's. And He does with them according to His own will. Is it lawful? You bet it's lawful. It's right. It's good. It's holy. It's just. Let me make one thing absolutely clear. Everything I'm going to say today, God is absolutely, completely, totally, 100% holy, just, righteous, wise, and true in everything He did. We deserve far worse. That's right. After what we did in the garden of Eden, and that was no surprise to him he had purposed that we would do that in the garden of Eden he is the first cause of all things and it doesn't matter whether you are an Arminian or a Calvinist or you believe the truth of the Bible you end up at the very same place God is the first cause of men suffering in hell he is not the secondary cause he is the first cause sin is not the first cause God is the first cause. There wouldn't be sin without the first cause. God could have put up a cherubim with the flaming sword to keep the way of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But He didn't put up a flaming cherubim with a flaming sword to keep the way of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put it up after they had eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to keep the way of the tree of life. Those are all God's choices because He did what was good in His sight. God is not the second cause of anything. He is the first cause. And an Arminian must deal with the same objective truth. If anyone ends up in hell, it is because their God, who is omniscient, knew that he would not use the means that their theology calls for and God would send them to hell. They end up at the same place. God created someone who would end up in hell full well knowing that before he created them. And yet they accuse us of distorting God. At least ours makes sense because it matches up with the Word of God. Theirs is an imagined fairy tale, but it ends up at the same place. Right. And I don't mean truth. I mean in hell. That's right. Yet their religion is so ridiculous, those in hell God loves and tried to save. Right. Our religion is not ridiculous at all. He never tried to save them, and He never loved them. He, in His sovereign choice, chose to love some, and He saved every single one of them without a loss. And I'm thankful for the sovereignty of God. And I'm thankful that it is lawful for Him to do what He will with His own, because He saved me according to the good pleasure of His own will. we will have more. Is thine eye evil because I am good? Because God makes differences among men? Is your eye evil because God made someone else better? What is your problem? You are so wicked. You're calling God in question. He is the first cause and the final end and the master mover of all things. And you can start with the first verse of the Bible because that's where it commences. In the beginning, God created. And when He created, He created you. And he didn't ask you if you wanted existence. And he didn't ask you what kind of an existence you wanted. And he didn't ask you if you liked the concept of living for a little while with the full knowledge that you were going to die in just a few days. He didn't care that you didn't know that there was an eternal hell attached to your existence. He created you and he didn't ask you and you can't turn it off. That is the most sovereign power I can imagine over another rational creature. To create a rational creature that can reason and understand and know fear and dread and not ask me if I wanted existence in this universe. Amen. An existence under the terms of the existence we have. It is appointed to men once to die. But why didn't he tell me that before he created me? Because if he had told me that I might have said, I fear death, I don't want to be created. And after that, the judgment. If he'd have told me that, I might have said, I don't want to be created. I don't want to run the risk of being one of his reprobates. It's so personal. And you can't turn it off. Mm -hmm. And do you know how wicked the wicked are? They put a gun to their head and said, I'm going to end it all. Ho, ho, ho. I rejoice every time I read about one in the paper. It's so cool. I couldn't take the pain any longer. I decided to blow my brains out. Because this family didn't love me and give me the attention that they should have, I've killed myself. I'm going to punish you by taking me away from you. It's never the lack of self-love that causes suicide. It's an obsession of self-love that causes suicide because other people don't measure up, and that's another subject for another time. But they think that they've ended the pain. You don't end the pain. You begin the pain by meeting your creator on the most horrible terms that you destroyed something that he had created. But again, I tell you, he had purposed that from before the world began. Absolutely. Without a doubt. This doctrine is hated by men, even by most Christians, maybe by some under the hearing of my voice. It's your choice. I love the truth, and I love the God of the truth. And I'm able to see His sovereign choices in my life that are so merciful and loving and kind. I'm able to read about them in the pages of Scripture. And I know that the only way that there's ever been a saved person in Scripture or a saved person out of Scripture in my experience is by the sovereign choice of God. It is nothing in man to save himself or to know his way or to choose his end. It is all of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It's by His sovereign choice I rejoice in it. If God wasn't as sovereign as I'm describing, the world wouldn't make sense and there wouldn't be salvation. Right. Because if He was subject to my will, there wouldn't be anyone saved. But he has overridden my will, and he has overridden the will of his only begotten Son. I want you to understand something about sovereign choices today. And when we come to this table in a couple of hours, I want you to remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten, the well-beloved Son of this living God that I'm talking about, begged him that if it were possible to let this cup pass from him, and the sovereign God that I worship, I'm not talking about you because you're nothing. I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus of Nazareth begged, if it be possible for another way, the sovereign God overrode him. And chose to kill his only begotten son so that we could have eternal redemption. That is sovereign power. Jesus begged for mercy. And I want to tell you something. It was possible. All he had to do was send us to hell to save his son. I would have done it. I would have sent you all to hell to save my son. And you would have sent me to hell to save your only begotten son. So let's not quibble about it. But thanks be to God, he's sovereign all the way through. Amen. And Jesus Christ submitted himself to the sovereignty of God. You know, our God is so different from their God. Our God didn't get in trouble in Eden and have to think of a remedy. Our God isn't trying to save anyone. Our God uses every good and evil act of man for his own praise and restrains any other act. There's nothing that ever surprises him and nothing that he's not using for his own glory. Every single evil act of any kind you can ever think of, I don't care the consequences of the pain of anybody else. It's irrelevant in the big scheme of things. You, you see you're so selfish you think that human pain is some measure of badness it's nothing Right. it's nothing that's because you're selfish that you think human pain is painful it's nothing Sharon Tate Charles Manson cut her up and spread her blood and wrote pigs on the walls of a home in California that's human pain that's nothing And yet you want Charles Manson behind bars for the rest of his life. In fact, you would like him put to death for that crime. But what about an offense against God? You never measure anything against the infinite being of Jehovah in the heavens. You are twistedly selfish. And we all are. If we would get our perspective correct, it would be glorious. And you would see him for who he is. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil? See, it's your eye that's evil. It's not him that's evil. He's good, but it's your eye that's evil that makes him, that tries to make him evil for doing something good. Sharon Tate had so many pleasures in life that she never deserved. And whoever else you ever want to think of, our God is in total control of all events in history, large and small, political, personal, public, private, good or evil. He's glorious, victorious, sovereign, whom we gladly love and submit our lives to for time and eternity. Their God got into trouble in Eden. He loves all men so much he's trying to save them but can't. Most of those he loves so dearly he's sent to hell to torture forever. He confuses his ignorant worshipers so that they don't know why bad things ever happen in life. Billy Graham would say after nine eleven, I don't know why God would do this. Now, he was the nation's pastor. Now, He's an old man now, and maybe something had happened to his mind, but based on his theology, he wouldn't have ever had an answer. Right. I don't know why God would allow something like this to happen. God didn't allow it. God purposed it, planned it, and executed it with pawns. Amen. Right. And it's far better than we deserve. And if this nation doesn't repent, they're all going to likewise perish. That's Luke chapter 13. If you ever were to ask the Bible what the Bible has to say. They think God is a sky buddy watching from a distance who cannot affect his will in time or eternity. They say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God has a wonderful plan for his existence. And he's going to use your life for his existence. You have a free will and God cannot save you against it, they say. (laughs) There's only one free will in this universe and it's God's. And he freely exercises his will to do whatever he wants to with you. That's what we're reading in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 15. In case you didn't get it the first couple times I read it. We're never going to alter this doctrine. It's glorious. We love Nebuchadnezzar confessing it in Daniel chapter 4. So let's turn there for a moment. This morning I began with 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verses 10 through 13. But now we turn to Daniel chapter 4. When you read Daniel chapter 4, I want you to always remember, and I've taught you this many times, that it's written in the first person, because this is Nebuchadnezzar's personal first person testimony given to all nations and languages of the earth under his widespread dominion, the largest empire and the most glorious that God recognized. It says in the first verse, Nebuchadnezzar the king. Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people nations and languages that dwell in all the earth peace be multiplied unto you I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me he learned that his gods were low compared to the high God how great are his signs exclamation point in Chaldean and how mighty are his wonders exclamation point in Chaldean His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar learned the sovereignty of God or he learned the dominion of God. The dominion is the power or the right, I've said this before, of governing and controlling, sovereign authority, lordship, sovereignty, rule, sway, control, influence, dominating authority is what dominion is. His authority is totally independent as you have seen and learned and heard already. I am that I am. God says of himself, that's his name. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, you can't question him. And so Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his little philosophical experience with the Lord and religious experience with Jehovah, he had this to say beginning in verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, first person in the Chaldean language, translated into all known languages at that time, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High. It's not the High God now. It's the Most High. And I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to a generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth, including Nebuchadnezzar and you, are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, Amen. or say unto him, what doest thou? Amen. Oh. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that he ever showed me these verses. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that he changed my heart and my mind to love these verses. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that 40 years later, I still love these verses. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I get to teach them to you today, again. And I'll do it again if God gives me breath. What a wonderful testimony. He doeth according to his will. Your, your reputation, you think I've been unfair to you? Nebuchadnezzar has something to say. Your reputation is nothing. You can't stop him, and you can't question him. He's God. We're not talking about his omnipotence today. Omnipotence is all power. Sovereignty is the right to exercise that power against you. Oh, that makes it different. Everybody gets excited about omnipotence. God made a flood. But see, sovereignty is God made a flood to drown everyone. Babies, senior citizens, handicapped, and elementary students. They seem to be the most prized possession of our society they murder all the babies and yet they want to protect everyone in elementary schools from machine guns I don't understand that but it does, you can't understand them because they're insane Right. see omnipotence made a flood sovereignty drowned men with the flood omnipotence made an ostrich sovereignty made the ostrich retarded as Job chapter 39 describes you say, I don't like you using that word, retarded. Don't you know we stopped using that? No, I didn't know that, so I keep using it. Amen. There's never been a retard that's ever existed that God didn't make. You say you're not speaking very nicely about them. What's the difference between a retard and us? That's right. Our minds get as equally close to the wisdom of God. That's right. What are you talking about? Are you, are you afraid that I'm making fun of someone that you think is inferior to you? I am making fun of you by using that word. That's right. Because there's no difference. That's right. We can't find God out. That's right. That's we can't learn anything that He hasn't implanted within us right. or teaches us by the most direct way. Yes. By omnipotence, God made a man blind. By sovereignty, God made a man blind for His own glory right. and let him wander around tapping with a stick do you know what kind of pain the man born blind in John chapter 9 went through in his life for 30 years? Do you know what it was like for him in school? Oh, he didn't get to go to school. Do you know what it was like when the other signed up for Little League? He didn't. He couldn't play Little League because he was blind. Omnipotence is the, is the ability and power to make a man seeing or blind. But sovereignty is the choice God makes, and He doesn't ask any of us. Right. And when you have a baby... God can make a choice it's going to be born blind. God can make a choice it's going to be born seeing. We should bless and praise his holy name in both cases. Amen. That's how we apply the sovereignty of God. By omnipotence God lifted Pharaoh up so that he was great in the history of Egypt. By sovereignty God lifted Pharaoh up and promoted him and protected him all the days of his life so that he could destroy him so that God could get himself a name. That's what the Bible says, and that's what the doctrine of the Bible is, and I love that God. I can serve that God, and I will serve that God, and that God, when He is my shepherd, as He is this day, as was also taught to us this morning, nothing is too hard for Him. He can speak the Word and overwhelm my enemies. He can speak the Word and open my cold, frigid, impotent mind. I love him. Famine or leprosy is nothing before omnipotence, but God sovereignly chose to only deliver two. The widow of Zarepta and Naaman the Syrian. And when that doctrine of the sovereignty of God was preached in the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, what did they try to do to that preacher? Throw him off the brow of a hill. And what was the name of that preacher? The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth in his hometown. Because he preached what I'm preaching to you right now. Sovereignty is God's ruling control of all things and events so nothing surprises or hinder him. hinders him. He's made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. You imagine the most corrupt, depraved, profane act of sin that you can possibly imagine. Okay, one came to mind. I think we'll use this one. I hope you'll allow me. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Sharon Tate got just exactly what she deserved and a whole lot better. And I'm sorry for picking on Sharon Tate, but she's long gone. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the most horrible crime ever perpetrated on this planet. And it was all according to the eternal counsel and foreknowledge of God, exactly as he had determined it in every single detail. Every single detail of them casting lots for his clothes, of him being thirsty, of him saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Of them piercing his side instead of breaking his bones, all of it. Every single detail. The man who betrayed him, every single detail. It had been better for that man that he had not been born. I want to ask you, how was he born then? If it was better that he hadn't been born, why was he born? I direct you to the first cause of all things in Genesis chapter 1. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. We just read it there in Daniel 4. You say, I bet that's the only place in the Bible that says that. Well, you're very mistaken. Look at Isaiah 46 very quickly. Isaiah 46. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Is what Ephesians 1.11 tells us, but we're turning to Isaiah 46. Let me say it again. He works all things right. after the counsel of His own will. Amen. He takes counsel with Himself. But it involves me. So. <laughs> Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Amen. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? What a God. What a glorious, glorious, sovereign king that reigns over all. Amen. He truly reigns. It's truly all. It is for himself. It is for his pleasure. Even the wicked for the day of evil. We don't have to go through the Bible wringing our hands and trying to defend the integrity of God. He is God. Isaiah 46. Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. You say that's egotistical. I know. Thank you. I love it. Amen, I'll say to it, hallelujah, that there's one being in the universe that can say it and mean it, and it's true. I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. He's the master mover, the first cause, and the final end of everything. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Amen. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Amen. What was the result of this call, purpose, and will, and counsel of God? The rape. Ravaging and murder of Babylonians by the Persians and the Medes. That's what. The ravenous bird that's going to eat up the Babylonian kingdom and empire. My counsel. My purpose. The things that are not yet done, I've already planned them. I've already spoken them. I'll bring them to pass. They're my pleasure. They're my purpose. I don't qualify it. Look at Psalm 76 and verse 10. Psalm 76 and verse 10. It doesn't need to be qualified. Why are you trying to qualify God? You remember that God is entirely holy, righteous, true, and wise in all of his doings and every one of his purposes and pleasures. And at the same time that little men down here think that they are operating according to their own will, he's never violated your will. Everything you've done, you've done willingly. Every time you've sinned, you've sinned willingly. He's never made you sin. God can't be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man in that sense of the word. Has he ever put opportunities for sin in front of you? He does it all the time. He does it every day. And you better be careful to pray like the Savior taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Amen. You ought to pray like David taught us to pray. Incline mine heart after thy commandments. Make me to go in the way of thy commandments. Quicken me according to thy word. Psalm 76 and verse 10. Surely, what do you think that means? You think you have an idea of it in the last verse of Psalm 23? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What does surely mean in Psalm 23, 6? It will absolutely, definitely, certainly happen. Right. Well, so it is here. Surely, it will definitely, certainly, absolutely happen. The wrath of man shall praise thee. Man can get mad. He can do something terrible to little children. He can do something terrible in an elementary school with a machine gun. He can do something terrible on the campus of Virginia Tech a few years ago. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Any wrath of man, any sin of man that God isn't going to use for his glory and for holy ends, he stops and it doesn't happen. When Sarah was in the harem of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Because Abraham had fudged about who she was. She was his half-sister and he said she is my sister. And Pharaoh took her to be his wife. Pharaoh couldn't touch her. Because God is able to restrain wrath. God is able to restrain sin whenever he chooses to. The nations of Canaan... Did not pursue the property of the Israelites in the three times per year when they went up to worship in the place that God had chosen for his worship, because God took the desire for property out of their hearts three times a year. God's able to restrain wrath, God's able to let wrath run wild, like with the Lord Jesus Christ and that wicked generation of the Jews, so that he could bring upon them all the righteous blood shed from Abel to Zechariah. He is God. And I I want you to love him. He does what he pleases in the world. You're in Psalm. Look at Psalm 135. Psalm 135 and verse 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. Everything you can find in this creation, God made it, whether it's ugly, whether it's beautiful, whether it's powerful, whether it's weak, whether it's fast, whether it's slow. And when you go to the zoo, you see it all. Some are sparrows. I mean, a sparrow is so ugly and such a nuisance. God made the sparrows. Not a single one of them falls without his dominion over that sparrow's life. He makes the eagle as well. We rejoice in the eagle, and he rejoices in the eagle. He never compared himself to a sparrow. He compared himself to an eagle. And bearing us up with eagle wings, he knows the difference, and he expects you to know the difference, but he made them both. Right. Everybody has a body that pleases him. God does what he pleases. Look at Matthew chapter 11. I want to tell you something right now because I'm going to get very frustrated very quickly here. If you need more on this subject, then you go home and take the link that I sent you in a preparatory email last night. You get every distraction of your life. You turn the phone off, your cell phone off, your wristwatch off, close the blinds, turn the computer on, scroll that type size up to where it's big enough where you can read it without working at it. And just start scrolling down through those pages and landing upon sentences that you like and let your cursor land upon the cross reference. And that verse is going to pop up for you and you can have a Bible study that will thrill your soul. I found that on the internet yesterday and I thought I would share it with you. It thrilled my soul last night. It thrilled my wife's soul last night. I had never seen something like that put together. I love the God that that man talked about. I love the verses that defended every sentence in that outline. The dominion of God on the website www.letgodbetrue.com. Do a search for the dominion of God. You'll have nine sermons there preached in the year 2007, a 21-page single single-spaced outline about the sovereignty of God. I can't deal with everything today. God easily overrules the wills of men. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would come against Moses and not let the people go when Moses asked him so that God could get himself a name over that man. God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's working a good will in a man. How about Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17 says this about God and at will. Verse 17, For God hath put in their hearts, these are the nations, the kings of the nations that give their nations to the beast. God hath put their hearts in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Isn't that amazing power? Isn't this same book the book that says anyone that worships the beast or cooperates the beast is going to be cast into a lake of fire? This is the second death? Doesn't this chapter say that? But they gave their kingdoms to the beast because God put His will in their hearts. Their hearts were motivated by pride and ambition. And they saw the fastest way for them to get to he- get ahead was to have the aid of the Roman Catholic Church. And so they gave their kingdoms. There were kings of Europe that came and asked for the Pope of Rome to crown them with his feet until God's will would be fulfilled. Amen, yes. Amen. And you can turn anywhere you want in the Bible. All matter is under his control. Look at Psalm 148 and verse 8. These people whining up there in New York and New Jersey. Listen, if you want to live at sea level, once in a while you're going to get wet. Does anybody else have a problem with that? You say, well, it just wasn't fair. It's totally fair. If you live at sea level, next to the sea, you're going to get wet once in a while. Well, why did it happen during their lifetime? Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's His choice. Amen. If you live next to a mountain in eastern Tennessee you might have stones fall on your house once in a while. If you drive I-40 all the time, you might have one land on your truck. Mm -hmm. It warns you. Mm -hmm. Not that you're going to be able to stop fast enough if you see one falling. Psalm 148 and verse 8, Fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy wind, fulfilling His Word. And we could just keep going on. God is greater than man. He does all these things. Every every inanimate matter in the universe, every act of nature, every power of nature, if you want to call it that, is the power of God, and he exercises it according to his will. He can make an axe head to swim. Do you like that story in 2 Kings chapter 6? A poor son of the prophets had borrowed an axe, and he was working out there with his axe, and the axe head flew off, and it went into a river. And he comes to Elisha and he says, Alas, you've got to read it with some feeling. What do you do? Listen to Scorby? Read it with some feeling. Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Why did he borrow it? Because he didn't have enough money for an axe head. If he's lost a borrowed axe head, now what does he need? Money for two. (laughs) That's a problem. Well, the axe head just swam up to the surface and said, here, pick me up. Because right. the God is sovereign. He can. You think, you think there's a rule of gravity or some rule that iron should sink in water? Not when God's around. Right. Trust him. Believe him. Believe him for everything. All irrational creatures, he can make a whale come to you and swallow you, and then he can make a whale carry you to shore and vomit you. Yes. No problem for him. One wasn't easier than the other. And they took care of Jonah just that way. And we could go on and on. with, You know, he can open the mouth of an ass to speak, and he can close the mouth of a hungry lion to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing what he's able to do. But he's Amen. God, and he's sovereign, and he's ruler over all. But you know, he does this to, to good angels as well. Do you know he orders them around heaven? And they do everything. They just stand there waiting all day and all night, just waiting for him to give the word. And they go and do it we sing some song about a myriad of angels waiting for his command. You say, what about evil angels? They can't do anything without him. They're nothing but puppets on a string. In fact, when they talk about it, when, they, when, when the highest and most powerful one of all of them in Job chapter 2 described what was happening to Job, he described it as God doing it to Job because really he was nothing but but a secondary cause of the first cause right? because for anyone to touch Job the first cause had to say okay, this far, no further I like that Amen. now some people may not like that that Satan is a hand, is a glove on God's hand but I like that because whenever my God wants to take that glove and beat it, he does and whenever he wants to confine it in chains reserved to the day of destruction he has already and when he wants to take that glove off and hurl it into eternal hell he will i rejoice Amen. see satan knew our sovereign god and satan said in job chapter one job obeys you because you have put a hedge around him and blessed everything that he's done that is a sovereign god with his children Can we put up with a little grief once in a while when he wants to test us with a tempest in our little teapot? (laughs) He gave Job twice everything that he had in the end. It was worth it. You say, I don't know that it was worth it. If God did it, it was worth it. You have a problem reasoning. You're questioning again. You're saying, "Is, is thine eye evil? Because he did what he wanted to with his own. God is greater than man. Do you remember the lesson? He doesn't give an account of any of his matters. Kings, that's why he's called the king of kings. Nebuchadnezzar was called the king of kings. He's the only king of kings in the Bible. Well, if God was the king of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar said he was the king, then what was God? King of kings. King of of kings. Hey, I like that. Yes. He commands all events, good and evil. Look at Isaiah 45 and verse 7. This gives people so much trouble. Isaiah 45 and verse 7. Now, I've already given the explanation for it, so I'm not going to repeat myself. I gave the explanation from James 1.13. If you need to go find it, to remember what I said to help you as I read this verse. But I'm just going to read this verse because I love this verse just the way it is. Amen. Isaiah 45 and verse 7. God said, if you, know, if you want to know who's talking, look at the sentence before verse 7. It's short. It's at the end of verse 6. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And I love that just the way it is. I understand it. You should understand it. I've already explained it, I've already answered it. God is God, He creates evil. I turn to Amos chapter 3 and verse 6. Amos 3, 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? That's the trumpet warning and alarming the city that a foreign power is coming, an army is coming, danger is coming. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Impossible. Impossible. What happened in New York City? Well, I just don't know. Do you know how many pulpits are saying, We don't understand. We don't, oh, I totally understand. Listen, there's only 109 that died from Storm Sandy in Jersey and New York. Do you know how many should have? All of them! That's right. What about Greenville? All of us! That's right. We are a wicked nation. Oh, they came to Jesus. Luke 13. Luke 13, it's about that tower that fell and killed some, killed some people. Oh, they were so worked up about a few people getting killed by a falling tower. Ever heard that one before? Yeah. So worked up about a tower falling, and Jesus said, Except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Yes. They said, Well, what about Pilate running amok and mingling the blood of some of the Jews with their own sacrifices? What Roman oppression... They're engaged in religious worship, and the Roman soldiers came in and cut their heads off, and they bled with their own sacrifices. What did Jesus have to say? Oh, that's terrible. Let's go visit their funeral home. Jesus said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke 13. Now, if you want to worship a different Jesus, I can recommend 400 other Baptist churches in Greenville County. But if you want to worship the Jesus of the Bible, that's what the Jesus of the Bible says about natural or political disasters like that. I thank God that he's able to overrule evil whenever he chooses to. And he allows evil whenever it's according to his decorative counsel. I'm glad that he's able to take the evil of Joseph's brothers and save the church alive in Goshen, Egypt by turning their evil into good what a God we worship God has all the rights we have all the responsibilities and if you don't like it then change it Mm -hmm. it's personal God gave you existence without asking with death only a few days away and hell after death and he never asked you And you can't turn it off. It's the second time I've told you in this sermon. I want you to think about that. This is a being the world doesn't know about. This is a being that isn't preached. This is the God of the Bible. It is appointed unto men once to die. You can't stop that appointment that's been made for you, no matter how hard you try. We've already had said to us this morning that no matter how rich or how powerful, death is stalking you and you will not even slow it down. There is no discharge in that war. The wise man would write, and if there was ever a man that could have bought himself out of death or worked his way of death by intelligence, it would have been Solomon. And He said there is no discharge in that war. And he died about the same time everyone else dies. It's personal. God shows every detail of your height, your intelligence, your family, your coordination, your looks, the schools you got to go to, your parents, your cousins, your generation, your nation, your race, your color, your abuse, your privileges, your opportunities, your promotions, everything God chose. It is very personal. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It is so personal. He blesses one in in a way, then he curses another in the same way. He lifts up one, he puts down another. And he's dealing with rational creatures. He's dealing with persons. He's dealing with persons that hurt. He's dealing with persons that have feelings. But you know what? They are so incredibly selfish, all they can do is think about their feelings, and they never think about the feelings of their Creator. Right. That makes all the difference in the world. If you ever can get it through your mind about the pain that you have caused your Creator by you sinning against him in your rebellion, then you would not think anything about pains of humans doing something to each other. That's why I have tried to say to you, why is it so hard for you to forgive a brother a hundred pence when God's forgiven you 10,000 talents? That's right. That's, that's the comparison the Bible makes. A hundred pennies against 10 billion. First Corinthians 4, 7. Look at this. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Why do you have a bodily disposition that tends toward fat? Fat is ugly. Why do you tend toward fat? Fat. F A T. Fat. Some in here can eat anything they want, and it's hard for them to eat because they don't want to eat. They're skinny, they're lean. Who maketh thee to differ from another? Some are short, some are tall, some are smart, some are dumb. Some have good parents, some have horrible parents. Some get good jobs, some get bad jobs. Some have a good first grade teacher that teach them how to read like the wind. And others have horrible first grade teachers that teach them the sight method that keeps anyone from ever reading. Who maketh thee? Do you know how to answer the question? Who maketh thee to differ from another? God made you to differ from another. Thank Him for everything He made for you about you. Every choice He made that you can't change. He didn't ask you. Because it doesn't matter what you think of it. It matters what He thinks of it. And He thinks it's just right. For His glory and your profit, if you'll learn to talk about it and think about it the way I am telling you right now. Glorify Him. Magnify Him. Use what He's given you don't worry about changing it. Don't resent someone else. Be thankful that God bless them. Rejoice with them in their good looks while you wear a paper bag over your head when you tell them. Amen. God made the choice, and look at the way He puts it. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? If there's anyone in here that thinks it's your job, your paycheck, your house, your cars, your clothing... Your bank account is because of your prudence? You are wrong. It is because of God. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? God gave it to you. Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? As if it wasn't a gift. It was a gift. You say, well, where does human choice come in? I've been over this before. Do you really need help on that? That person sitting next to you, for those of you that are married, let's deal with it this way. The person sitting next to you is God's choice, not yours. Mm -hmm. And if you would just figure that out, it would help you so much. Because as, as long as you think it's your choice, then you think that you have some measure of the right to treat them the way you want. But I did say yes. Oh, come on. See, that's how simple your mind is. You have reduced it down to saying yes to the question... Will you, will you marry this man and be his lawful wedded wife? I do. You're so simple, you're thinking about that. I want you to think about the puppeteer that arranged trillions of events right. to bring a person of the opposite sex into your life right when you were the most vulnerable and to arrange for there to be a connection in circumstances and affection that would bring about you ever saying the words, I do, you don't have anything to do with it. If you made a foolish mistake, you know, you did, but you know that God allowed you plan for you to make a foolish mistake for his glory and your profit. If you'll submit to it, right. the person next to you is God's choice, even though you think you pick them. My wife and I rejoiced last night just thinking through the turbulent teens. And we named names, and it was ugly, and the Lord brought us together. And we we blessed his holy name. I was so retarded when I went to work at the bank. I thanked the Lord for sovereignly directing my father to see a a worthless classified ad and saying, you've been good with numbers, why don't you try this job? I wore construction boots and a red lunch pail. I took a red lunch pail to a bank. It hadn't clicked yet that I was no longer working the construction job that I had been working. It hadn't clicked. Nobody gave me a book, Dressed for Success. I was retarded. But I thanked the God of heaven for choices he made. Right. I was in a toy store for eight years, called a bank. All by God's grace. Everything in your life, it wasn't, I received it as a gift. Sometimes stock options are just given away for hardly anything. We receive it as a gift. Right. Who make a fee to differ from another? It is so personal. Job knew this. Mrs. Job rebelled. Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is the first cause. He is the final end. He is the master mover. I'll worship him. Amen. She said, curse God and die. Look what he's done to you. You speak as the evil women speak. You speak like Arminian preachers preach. You talk like Billy Graham. Stop talking like that. Shall we not receive evil at the hand of God and not good only? Right. We're going to get both from Him. You cannot brush your teeth or, li- or even live without God's will for it. So don't boast in anything that you do or don't boast in anything that you're planning on doing. James chapter 4 puts it this way, For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. And do this or that. Anything you do is subject and under the control of the will of God. And there is nothing that you can do or will do outside of that will. That's this or that. It doesn't matter what you do. It's all subject to the will of God. Paul knew that. And that's why he would write and say, if the Lord will, I'll do this or that. And this is how you are supposed to speak about your life. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. If you ever talk about one of your plans and don't submit it to the will of God, you are boasting and your boasting is evil and you don't have any right to be talking that way because a business plan means nothing unless God blesses it according to his will because he can turn your business plan upside down and smash you in the head with it. True. All to the praise of his glory. Yes. Cuz then it reminds us he's God and I'm man. And the distance between the two is incomprehensible. He hides truth from the educated because he finds it good to humble them. He's the potter, and we're the clay. He can put you to sleep to miss something. Can you think of someone? He can keep you from sleep to find something, or he can teach you while you sleep, and he's in charge of all those. And I bless and praise him for that. He can forgive or judge you as he sees fit. Different men in different ways for the same sins. He didn't forgive Eli for not being a good father, but he forgave David for not being a good father. Does that bother you? Right. He liked David. Does that bother you? Hmm. Eli was a horrible father and got judged terribly. His family tree was cut off. David's... David was a horrible father, had wicked sons, terribly wicked sons. His son still sits in the throne of the kingdom of God and will forever. You say, it just doesn't sound fair to me. That's because it's you thinking. Is thine eye evil because I am good? Isn't that good that he blessed David's sons in spite of David? David thought it was good. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. And that's the covenant I'm talking about. My son will sit on God's throne forever. You know, it's one thing to happen on the field of Boaz. You know the sovereign God was in charge of that, but it's an even bigger, bigger thing to have Boaz fall for you. He can give you what you want, make you sick of it, and judge you for wanting it. Right. What was that? It was a long time ago I preached about it. Last Sunday, Quail Psalm one hundred six verses thirteen through fifteen. He deceives prophets and people. The Bible says the deceived and the deceiver are his, right. and he proves that over and over. Oh, there's so much comfort we can take in knowing that God has all these made all these choices for us for the praise of His glory and our profit if we'll respond to them rightly. We can personally benefit just by trusting Him and praising Him and glorying in our infirmities. He even sends infirmities that the power of Christ can rest upon us. God cannot show His glorious strength through us unless He gives us a burden to bear. Then when we bear the burden, cheerfully and praising Him, His glory and strength shines through us. So Paul would say, after getting that lesson in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Most gladly, therefore will I rather glory... In my infirmities. We learn our place and our purpose in life. It's for his pleasure and his purpose. And so we want to live for him, not for ourselves. We can glorify God better by praising his total dominion over the entire universe. For this among all his attributes is the one that exalts and glorifies him and his Godhead. We learn contentment, submission, and thankfulness for the way God made us and for difficult circumstances, knowing that He planned them from eternity for His glory. We learn that anger or bitterness against God is profanely wrong. When a man's wife dies prematurely, when a baby is taken away from parents, and they get angry at God, can you... I... How? The baby isn't yours. It's God's. The wife isn't yours. It's the Lord's. Angry at God. Hell, as hot as it may be, is only hot enough for people like that. That would ever get angry at God. Don't you ever get angry at God or bitter at God. It's profanely wrong. We're the clay. He's the potter. He's an accountable, answerable, or alterable to anyone. He can make vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, and He does it according to His own will. We can learn total trust in the Lord, our protector and provider in any situation, for He is committed to us. His will is committed to us. He is so committed to us that He overrode His only begotten Son. Second time I've mentioned it to you in this sermon. He is that committed to us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never lose a single one of us because His own Son... Was committed by his sovereign will for our redemption, by the which will we are sanctified once for all. Which will? His will. The good pleasure of his will. We learn a proper peace and perspective for analyzing evil in the world, knowing that God has ordained every act, large or small, bad or heinous, for holy he ends. All of it's good, all of it's for his purpose, and sometimes we can even know what that is just by knowing his word. We learn godly fear from this glorious doctrine. We learn the proper doctrine of salvation. God's not trying to save any. This God doesn't try to save. This God saves. Jesus saves. Have you heard the joyful sound? Jesus saves. Because it's by the sovereign grace of our God. Wise men learn to pray to God to overrule their wills. Incline my heart away from covetousness, covetousness toward thee. Make me to go in the way of thy commandments. Lead me not into temptation. We know that God is sovereignly in charge of everything that's going to happen to us this day. And so thus we pray. Lord, renew a right spirit within me, knowing that God can speak the word and increase your spirit. If Elisha could say, I want twice your spirit, and get the answer to that prayer within five minutes, you can pray similar prayers of boldness, and God will hear and bless you. This is called a transferable or a communicable attribute because God's given dominion to man. Let PETA gnash with their teeth. People for the ethical treatment of animals. PETA, let them gnash with their teeth. What matters is that we treat animals the way God said to treat them. That means you kill them, skin them, them, fry them, eat them, and wear them. That means you kill them and let them lie and the buzzards eat them. Big game hunting, but you don't want to dirty yourself with hauling it back. That is not violating the Proverbs verse about not taking that in hunting. Because that is not hunting, that is sport. We wear them. God gave us dominion over them and he said so in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. He ordered horrific cruelty on the gentlest of animals every day in his worship little tiny lambs every Passover a family had to keep a lamb up for several days so they got to know it and then take that little lamb and cut its throat and bleed it out in a bowl and with daddy paint that blood on the doorway of their houses that's my God's religion he's teaching us a lesson in that he's teaching us that animals don't count until he says they count and he's teaching us that someone innocent something innocent is going to have to die for us and His only begotten Son was sent to die for us. It's His own rules for kindness to animals. They're entirely sufficient. A merciful man doeth good to his own beast. Right? You don't. You know what kind of beast we're talking about? This ain't your puppy dog. Right. These are beasts of burden. These are working animals that earn their keep. These are oxen that grind out the corn. There's rules for taking care of them in the Bible. You're not supposed to take a damn with their young. But God's given us Dominion to have in the world. Civil rulers should execute their office to the fullest. The Bible says a king with his eyes driveth away all wickedness from his throne. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 tells us there should be fear of the king. The king should bring the wheel over the wicked. Do you know what the wheel was? A vessel for an instrument for crushing grain to separate the chaff from the wheat. And a good king crushes the wicked crushes criminals our detention centers and prisons are a joke in it compared to the bible we gas them we electrocute them the bible says stone them right it's much slower it's much better it's much more divine whether you think it's humane or not is irrelevant god didn't participate in the geneva convention Fathers should command their households and enforce it. God knew that Abraham would command his household after him. God said of Joshua, and Joshua said of his own home, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua taking dominion where he should take dominion. Husbands should bear rule in marriage, and their wives' desires should be their husbands'. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Genesis 3.16. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. That's the way God made it. God did transfer some dominion. Our God is sovereign. He is king forever. His kingdom reigns over all. Riches and honor are in his hand. He lifteth up. He putteth down. He has made personal choices in your life that are incredible. He has blessed some more than you. He's blessed you more than others in certain ways. And I'm referring to natural ways. But there's a way that we're going to take up after our break. And as we come to the Lord's table, it's God's sovereign choice in salvation that is unbelievable. He exercised his will, not to the angels that fell, but reached past them to the men that rebelled against him. And he made choice according to the good pleasure of his will to save us against our wills. For there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Our will was opposed to God. He, in his free will, said, live. And we're here today. And we've heard the joyful sound. And he has sent beautiful feet to preach us the gospel. And here's what the gospel contains. It's Isaiah 52 and verse 7. And with this I close. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth! Exclamation point. If you don't get it, that is good, that is peace, and that is salvation. If you don't think the sovereignty of God is good tidings, you don't understand it. You're too selfish and too proud. May the Lord humble us all, to realize and trust Him in everything, God reigneth. Amen. Amen.